Kirk Alcoholic. Hey, Kirk. We, uh, how long is this talk? I, this is a tough act to follow here with break. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, hey, uh, Brick already welcomed everybody. So, uh, welcome all the people took chips and Jason and Jesse, happy birthday. And Jason, you know, you're one of my favorites whenever I see you at a meeting. Uh, it's always cool when you, uh, see guys get sober and then stick around. And I saw Pej on there too. I don't know if he's still around, but Pej is one of my favorites as well, it, along with the other guys that Brick mentioned from our uh, men's meeting that we go to, and a special shout out. Chuck D said he'd give me 20 bucks if I mentioned his name, so <laughs> thanks, Chuck, and uh, I'll collect that later. Um, yeah, Brick was talking, uh, and we joked about this recently, that uh, Brick was born with a nickname, so he doesn't really have like an, an AA nickname, but... Uh, my first nickname in AA was Happy because I wasn't. And uh, now I'm known as Brick's dad at my meetings. And uh, I'll take that nickname. But uh, I, uh, I was born and raised in uh, Anaheim, California. I was the third of three kids. Uh, my mom, as I got old, older, used to joke that uh, my birthday was exactly nine months after Valentine's Day. And... Uh, I think that was the last time my mom and dad ever had had sex <laughs> because uh, my, my dad uh, really wasn't really happy with having a third kid. And uh, of course, I didn't know that when I was young, but uh, I found out through the years. And uh, I'm going to talk a lot about my father because it, it's uh, kind of a, a great example of, of Alcoholics Anonymous and, uh, and relationships and, and healing. Uh, but I did not have a very close relationship with my dad. And uh, from a very young age, uh, Brick talked about it. It's funny, Mike was, has been with us for about four days now, and he said early on that now he knows where Brick gets all his shtick. But uh, um, I, I like to say the same thing. I, I, from a very young age, uh, I felt like a square peg trying to get a round hole. And one of my first recolle recollections was uh, – uh, I had an older brother, four years older, and and uh, and he was, uh, you know, real, you know, kind of into different trends and, and fashion and not a lot of fashion, but enough for me to look up to. And uh, one of my first recollections of just not feeling part of uh, was uh, I wanted a pair of Levi's. And uh, so uh, Christmas came, I think I was six or seven. And I tore open that gift, and it was a pair of uh, Sears Toughskins. And uh, I was just, like, so distraught. I mean, if anyone knows what Sears Toughskins are, they have these big padded knees, and they look nothing like Levi's. But uh, as the years went by, uh, I realized why my mom got me those is because I was the type of kid that I was very physical. And, you know, I was sliding in jeans, and I would have ripped those Levi's up right away. But at the time, it was very disappointing, and uh, and I just just felt like you know no one understood me. And and then I think it was the next Christmas or a couple of Christmases later, uh, you know, rock and roll was taken off, and uh, the, the Doors were were the big band, and uh, I wanted the uh, the Doors album, and. Uh, uh, and the, the number one sign at the time was, come on, baby, light my fire. And so, again, at Christmas comes, I open that gift, and it's uh, 
Come on, ba come on, baby, light my fire by Jose Feliciano. <laughs> and uh, I remember going into my room and just scratching the heck out of that that record, and uh, just traumatized me. Uh, but uh, uh, you know, my dad had a lot of rage, and uh, which is interesting because uh, you know I look back at it at it now, and and uh, he, he was a really good dude. Uh, but he had a hard time uh, with his family, and uh, I've been able to put together stuff over the years and realize kind of where that came from, and I'll get into that. But uh, he had a lot of rage, and, and my older sister, who's actually 34, 35 years sober, um, she uh, and my older brother, they kind of learned early on that, you know, if they just kept their mouth shut, uh, you know, everything would cipher down to me and, and I was very loud and very, uh, you know, I was basically just, you know, pretty much a happy kid, but I was loud and, and, uh, had a lot of energy. And, uh, so inevitably that abuse would come down to me. It was mostly verbal abuse, but it was also some physical abuse, nothing compared to what I've heard other people go through. But, uh, you, you know, it it, uh, it it ruined, uh, not ruined, but I mean, I really had a hard time having a relationship with my dad. So I ended up being pretty much a mama's boy and and my mom would protect me from my dad. And and I joked about it earlier about that was probably the last time they, they physically got together was when they conceived me. But uh, uh, I really think, uh, you know, I was a reminder to my dad that, uh, you know, he, he, he had no more attention after that. And, and my mom protected me. So it was kind of a weird power struggle, but you know, I, I got it. I played a lot of sports. I got it into my teens and having an older brother and sister, uh, you know, I started experimenting with, with different stuff. And, and I remember the first time I, I mean, I take sips of beer and stuff when I was a little kid, but uh, I remember the first time I drank alcoholically, uh, I was 13 and, and, uh, uh, back then you didn't have all this technology and the, and the way you found out a girl liked you is uh, either her girlfriend would tell you or she'd write it on her peachy, you know? And uh, so my first crush, uh, I'll never forget it. Her name was Laura Pecan. And uh, I, and uh, so it was a Friday night. I was going to go see Laura for the first time. And, and uh, uh, my parents were out for the night being the youngest. They were kind of done raising kids and living their life. And, <laughs> I got my dad's bar and I took a little bit of everything and, and put it in a glass and, and it, it, I couldn't even, it was, it was horrific. So I took, <laughs> I took a couple scoops of ice cream and made like a float out of it and I got it down and, and I went over to Laura, Laura Pecan's house and I had my first kiss and I, luckily it was before I got the spins, but, um, it was magical. It was like Papa eating spinach, you know, uh, I went over and, and, uh, had my first kiss and got home and it, one of my first of many times of spinning and then throwing up. I was a, I would drink until I'd throw up, but uh, something magical happened that night. And I, I felt part of, I felt, you know, uh, I, you know, and, um, you know, I knew deep down that something was wrong and uh, I, I, I couldn't hold a job. Um, I was living at home. I moved out, moved back home, you know, uh, driving a, you know, $200 beater. And, you know, I didn't know if it was going to start or not. And, 
and just really had no future. And uh, I had a cousin that uh, uh, was like the black sheep of our family, about 10 years older than me. He was in a band and he was just like the coolest dude. And, and uh, yeah, I remember he got, he, he got arrested and went to jail and it, you know, the family really didn't talk about, about him too much. Uh, but it come to find out a couple years later, uh, he was living out in the desert and, uh, he was on the opening team of the Betty Ford center. And, uh, so he turned his life around, but still back then, you know, people, you know, you would think that would, people would talk about it, but, you know, families didn't talk about stuff like that, but we did find out about him. And, and so I was in trouble and, uh, you know, we got a hold of my cousin Drew and, and, uh, he, uh, he talked to me on the phone and said, you know, let me, I'll call you back tomorrow. I'll see what I can do. And uh, he ended up getting me a scholarship at Betty Ford. And what that means is you basically go for free. And uh, so I remember the time my sister that has 34 years sober now, uh, she drove me down there and we spent the night at a hotel before I checked in and I'll never forget. It's funny now, but uh, you know, I was ready for it. I mean, I, I, I wanted to stop this insanity. And, and, and the night before I go in, my sister pulls out a joint and goes, Hey, you want to have one last joint before you go in? And I'm like, no, 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 no. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to do this thing. Right. My sister smokes a big joint in front of me and, and, uh, and now she's 34 years sober and I'm 21 years sober. So you can do the math, but I went into Betty Ford and absolutely loved the, the whole concept of the 12 steps. I mean, I felt so good. I started a pattern though that I, I repeated for a long time. And uh, that, that was, uh, you know, I, I got in shape, you know, when you're young like that in your early twenties and you stop drinking and start exercising, uh, you know, you just feel great. And I, I love the group uh, therapy and I, I love the meetings and and uh, I just loved everything about it. And uh, so the, the 30 days goes by and I'm thinking, great, man, I'm ready to get on with my life, you know. Uh, and uh, they sat me down and they, they said, hey, uh, Kirk, we've all decided and talked about it. We think you uh, need to go to uh, a halfway house. That's what they used to call them back then. And I'm like going halfway house, you know, and they're going, uh, yeah, you know, we've got, there's a couple of options we've looked into for you. One's in Nebraska. It's a men's facility uh, in Nebraska. And the other is a co-ed co facility in Costa Mesa. And uh, it doesn't take uh, much to figure out which one I chose. <laughs> but uh, uh, I, I checked into that facility in Costa Mesa and immediately found her. Uh, I was going to meetings, but, um, and, I, and again, I love the 12 steps. I love the whole concept, but the missing link for me was, uh, you know, I had other stuff to do. You know, I, I, I wanted to go back to school and I did sign up for school and, uh, and started hanging out with this gal in, in, uh, in rehab or in, uh, uh, sober living and, uh, and then went back to school and I, I just, you know, I went to meetings here and there and, uh, and then I got into the theater in junior college, which is funny. That's where I met Brick's mom. And, uh, I started doing theater and completely stopped doing any type of 12 step recovery. And next thing you know, uh, 
uh, I get this scholarship in this Broadway theater school in New York. It's like the most prestigious acting school in the country. And next thing you know, I'm in New York City and I'm drinking again. And everything seems to be okay. Uh, had a teacher uh, pull me aside one time because I was, again, I was going back to like when I was a little kid, I was kind of always a showman. I was loud. I'd make people laugh. I'd entertain people. And uh, but so we'd go out to this bar in Hell's Kitchen on Friday nights and some of the teachers would come over. And I was the type of guy, it, it's weird to talk about because it, it, it's like, a, it's a different guy, but I, I, I would, uh, back then you could smoke in bars. I, I, I would smoke a cigarette and just for fun and to get a reaction, I'd eat the lit cigarette. Or uh, I would eat glass. And, uh, and I still have a messed up tooth from that. But uh, I had a teacher come up, a stage combat teacher from Juilliard come up to me and go, hey, Kirk, you got to find a new way to celebrate. Because uh, <laughs> I wasn't one of these guys that drank when I was down. I mean, when things were going, I would like, hey, let's jack this up, right? You know, everything's going good. Let's let, Let's just take the party to a whole new level. And uh, so he pulled me aside and said, uh, you know, you got to find a new way to celebrate. And, you know, it was, uh, it's, it, it, I realized, you know, I, I was in trouble again. And uh, so Betty Ford had an alumni meeting on the Upper East Side. And I, I went back to AA. And again, I fell right into it. I see a lot of people come in that, you know, just hate AA. And, you know, I, I still sometimes like it's time to go to a meeting. Go, I don't want to go to this freaking stupid meeting, right? <laughs> but uh, I had a place to go, and I and I got back into it. But again, I just kind of, I just did enough to get my life back. And then you know what? I got I I got my life back. You know, I got stuff to do, and uh, and so I got sober again and started this long distance uh, uh, phone uh, affair with, this is interesting talking with my son here, but he knows my whole story, but uh, his mom was married at the time, but uh, we were talking the whole uh, year or so, I was in New York, uh, we were talking, and then when I got home from California, I was sober, and uh, we got together, and, and, and that, her marriage ended very quickly, and, uh, and Brick came along very quickly, and, uh, and, and once again, I started drinking again. And the, the night Brick was, uh, his mother went into labor, uh, I was completely hammered. And uh, of course, she goes into labor at two in the morning, right? It's like, oh, really? You know, you're ruining my buzz, you know? And there's this picture I have of uh, me in her bed. It turned out to be like a 12 year or 12 year, 12 hour labor. And there's a picture of me in bed asleep next to her while she's in labor. <laughs> and like, we're all laughing right now, but you know, uh, it's not a proud feeling. I mean, it, I, uh, you know, Hey, I'm glad I'm at where I'm at now, but looking back on that, it's not a, it's not a very great memory other than being a 12 hour uh, labor. I was able to sober enough, be sober enough to when brick was born to experience that spiritual experience. And, uh, and it was, it was magical. And it was the first time in my life I realized it was like, I believe it was, you know, God going through me saying, this is what you're here for. And, uh, and so, you know, now, now I've got a young kid and 
and I sobered up for a little while again, but I, I just did this pattern over and over. I, I would get sober, I'd, I'd start feeling good, and I'd just take control of my life again, and, and I'm not very good at taking control of my life. But uh, two years later, well, let me back up a little bit. This is part of the story that is hard to tell, but when Brick was three months old, uh, uh, we had a, I had a friend from New York visiting and, and uh, it's a long story, but we went out the night before and in the morning, uh, she was going to the train station uh, in, in uh, Buena Park. I lived in Cyprus and uh, I think I probably partied till four or five in the morning. The, the gal from New York, my friend from New York, she, uh, she didn't drink. Uh, and so we dropped her off after dinner around nine and, you know, I just got the party started. But uh, my, uh, my ex-wife uh, uh, had a morning shift and I had brick and I put him in the car at eight o'clock in the morning. And back then you could put a, a baby in a car seat in the front seat. And I proceeded to get in a car accident and two people were killed. And uh, they, uh, I very easily could have killed brick. And it's amazing when Brick was talking earlier, I'm just sitting there looking at him going, you know, it's just amazing that, that uh, I was lucky enough and God was looking out for me enough that I didn't kill him. And, uh, but it was a very traumatic experience. And, uh, uh, you know, it was what I always, that was another thing when I was going in and out and trying to get sober and I see a lot of this with people now and I did the same thing was like, okay, that's my bottom. First, my bottom was my, my, my son being born. I was wasted. Then I almost kill him and I kill two other people accidentally. Right. Uh, okay. I've hit my bottom. I'm ready now. Right. And, uh, but I just did the same thing again. I, I, I got about nine months sober and, uh, stopped going to meetings just kind of took over my, my life again and just gradually just got right back to where I was to where two years later, uh, my ex-wife is pregnant again and goes into labor again late at night. And I, it's, it's like, it's Groundhog Day. You know, I, I, I'm in the hospital and uh, uh, this time my daughter uh, was born and, and we almost lost her. And it was Mother's Day in 1990, and just the shame of that one is just like, really, you know, I, I'm I'm loaded again, and okay, here's another bottom. This is going to stop me, right? And uh, fortunately, everything worked out. My daughter was okay, and and uh, they brought her back, uh, and, and uh, you know, I, I went back to back back to home, stopped drinking again. And I think, it, you know, I can't remember how long it lasted, but uh, again, I, I was back soon, um, you know, doing what I was doing. And, and that went on until, uh, until uh, Brick was, uh, I don't know, I got sober another time. We joke about this now, but it, it's really not funny. But I got sober again and, and uh, we bought our first house and we had a pool. It was, I think it was 4th of July, wasn't it? <laughs> I think Brick was eight probably at this time, maybe nine. And uh, it, it, it's uh, 4th of July and everyone's out in the pool and I start drinking margaritas. 
And, and Brick swims up to me and goes, hey, daddy, I, I thought you don't drink anymore. And I look at him, I go, oh, son, it's okay. It's a holiday. It's 4th of July. <laughs> and Brick looks at me and goes, oh, okay. <laughs> and goes back to swimming. And, you know, he's laughing right now, but that is just messed up, you know. And it's funny, same thing, like a doctor would look at me, I'd go in and my, you know, I bloomed up to like 230 pounds and my liver was swollen and I go to the doctor and the doctor looks at me and goes, how much do you drink? I go, two glasses of wine a night. <laughs> and, and, and looking back at that time, I actually believed it. I mean, it just, I mean, it's just, just ridiculous how you can lie to yourself and, and convince yourself that, you know, you're telling the truth. And uh, I'll tell you, I had a guy tell me in sobriety probably seven, eight years ago, and I've heard it before, but I, I'd go to dinner with him before the Jason, our Monday night meeting, uh, Mark, uh, that's moved to Texas now. And he looked at me, he goes, hey, I don't care what you do or how often you call your sponsor, but you should be looking a guy in the eyes once a week and telling him the truth. And I went, wow, what a concept, right? But anyway, so uh, that was, that was an 4th of July uh, in 1998 when I told Brick, yeah, so he was 10. And, uh, and, and and said that uh, it's okay to drink on a holiday. And August 19th was my 10-year wedding anniversary. And uh, I took the family to dinner, and we were, had a couple bottles of Dom Perignon, and uh, had a really nice dinner. And on the way out, we saw a friend of mine who my wife works for, uh, my ex-wife uh, was working for, and they started talking and I had a, a, a connection leaving me a package back at the house about five minutes away. And, and I thought it was a good idea to like go, hey, I, I'm going to the restroom. And so I leave, I get the car out of valet, I go home and I get in another car accident. This time I take off, the car spins like four times I end up heading the right direction with a blown out back tire and I only got the two blocks. This shows you how powerful drugs and alcohol are. But uh, uh, I drove home on, on, on that, on that uh, wheel. Brand new, uh, first brand new car we'd ever bought too. It was basically my wife's car, black E320. And uh, I limped home in that thing and tried to get in the garage and close the garage door and figure out later how I'm gonna pick up the kids. But uh, the, guy, uh, the guy followed me home. And uh, so I talked my way out of him calling the cops, made a deal with him. And that was August 19th. And I drank every day from August 19th till October 1st of 98. And on October 1st of 98, I was doing my thing again. And... Uh, Brick's mom came in. Uh, the kids used to call me Darth Vader because I'd go in my room and they'd call it the chamber, you know, and I'd, <laughs> I'd close the door and I'd just, I'd just like try to drink and drug myself to death. But uh, uh, she said, uh, we're leaving. 
And she took the kids, and I'll never forget this. It was like my first feeling was like, ah, oh, peace and quiet, right? <laughs> well, about four in the morning when everything's gone, I start panicking. And uh, by this time, there is cell phones, and my uh, Rick's mom would not answer her phone. And uh, her mom was not a big fan of mine. And uh, I called her at four in the morning, three or four in the morning. She didn't know where she was. At least that's what she was telling me. And uh, all next, the whole next day, uh, wouldn't call me. And the next day, still haven't heard from him. And finally, it was, I believe it was a Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon, I hear the car pulling up. And my first thought is what it always was. Okay, what am I going to do to get out of this? You know, am I going to take him to Disneyland? You know, it's too late for that. I'm going to take him out to dinner. This whole scenario goes through my head of how I'm going to get out of this, right? And, and I'm standing by the door and I hear him get out of the car. And all I hear is laughter and pure, pure happiness in my life absolutely flashed in front of me. This is no joke. Uh, it, it was like a, a split second, but I saw, I saw Brick going to his first prom. And I saw someone else helping him with his tuxedo. I saw my daughter go to her first prom and someone else pinning, pinning the flower on her, on her gown. I, I saw my daughter getting married and I saw another guy walking her down the aisle and I saw myself sitting in the back row by myself. And, uh, I just, it was the weirdest thing. And uh, and then I opened the door and there they are. And my, my uh, ex-wife now looks at me and goes, hey, honey, we love you. We just can't watch you kill yourself anymore. And I just went. And, and I look back at that. Brick talked about that, about me never pressuring him. And I never pressure anybody. And when, when guys ask me for any suggestions or counsel or anything on situations with their family and stuff, and they, and they and part of this is Al-Anon, but uh, I've learned that I tell guys, hey, if somebody told you what to do and you were in your disease, would you have done it? And everyone, everyone I ever talked to goes, no. So. I always look back and to this day, I thank my ex-wife uh, for saving my life because if she would have yelled at me, I know how to fight. You know, uh, you, you know, I learned that from my dad. Uh, I can rage with the best of them, right? And, but, but she totally took that away from me and, and uh, you know, it was just unconditional love but was talking to me like a child. And I just, uh, the jig was up and, uh, had a friend of mine from uh, a previous neighborhood I lived in that I knew was sober, and I called him, and thank God, his name was Clint. Uh, he was one of these AA guys. He wasn't a touchy-feely guy, you know? He was a nice guy, and he liked me, but uh, I'll never forget, I said, hey, uh, I need some help. I'm in trouble. And he basically, and I do this with guys now uh, that call me and ask for help, and he goes, he goes, meet me tonight at six o'clock. I don't know what the restaurant was. It was in Cyprus. And, uh, and, and, and don't waste my time, basically. And I met him there. And that was a long, scary drive. It was like, you know how you feel when you're 
detoxing and and uh, he took me to an indigent uh, facility in Los Alamitos. It was a house uh, and it was all men sitting around a, a bonfire uh, in the back of this guy's house. And I sit right next to a guy in a wheelchair with no legs. It smells like urine. And I'll never forget this. This is, this is something that I, I can never trust my thinking because my first thought is, well, I'm not that bad, <laughs> you know? And my second thought for the first time, I think ever, my second thought was that could be me. And, uh, and, and I, I went to that meeting and uh, I can't even remember what was said, but I just remember the smell and, and this guy and, and just how tragic it was to, 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 to see a guy like that, that drank himself to that condition. And uh, it, it, it shocked me. And, and so I, I got back and we were in the process of moving to Irvine and, and I started going, that's where I met Pej. Um, I started going to the Alton noon meeting, the Alton 530 meeting, and I started going every day. And just a series of things happened to me. Uh, Rick was talking about Jim L. Uh, that, uh, that was at that meeting when he first identified as, uh, as an alcoholic. I, I met Jim L. at that meeting, and I started talking to him. And he'd always come up to me. And I've learned this in AA, and I think it's the purest form of Alcoholics Anonymous. And to me, it's the essence of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's one guy just being nice to another guy. I mean, you know, I can hear guys pontificate for a long time, and some of them I can listen to, and sometimes, you know, I just go into a whiteout. <laughs> but, but a guy coming up to me and saying, hi, hey, good to see you. Uh, it, it just, it, it just did something to me. And Jim, Jim L was like that to me. And, uh, so, uh, early on in my sobriety, I heard a guy say, you know, Hey, you got to get a home group. And I'm thinking a home group. And then I hear, Hey, you got to get a commitment. And I don't like telling me guys telling me to do anything. You know, you tell me to do something. And I'm like, Hey, you know, you're, you're talking to the wrong guy. I tell you what to do. That's why I used to be. But, uh, but I heard that, and then I heard a commitment, and then a couple months in, uh, I fell into the, the coffee commitment at the Alton 530 meeting, on the way home meeting. And uh, so I got the coffee commitment. I, I did that for about a month. I ended up doing it for six to nine months, but I was about a month into it, and I realized I was going every Friday, and it, it so I, I, I knocked out two birds with one stone. I got a commitment and I got a home group out of it. And, uh, and so that, that's kind of been the story of my, my sobriety ever since is, is, is I have to learn things through doing stuff. And, and I'm a very slow learner, but I can learn better from that. I'm severely dyslexic for one thing. And uh, so when people start talking about the book or, or, you know, pages in the book and stuff, it, it gets me all kind of discombobulated. But when I actually apply something, I can learn it. Um, it, it uh, I think it's God's way of, of getting, getting me to, to do the program. But it was the first time in my life of trying to get sober, I was actually in the deal. And, uh, and so now I'm three or four months sober 
and I'm talking to Jim Lucci. Oh, I just blew his anonymity. Sorry about that, Chuck. Jim L. <laughs> and uh, uh, I, I finally asked him, I go, hey, hey, would you sponsor me? And he looks at me, he goes, hey, what do you think we've been doing the last three months? <laughs> and I went, you know, I was doing it, but I hadn't officially said it because I didn't want to commit to it, right? But Jim L. Ha has a way with words. And it was funny, you know, it's like, yeah, I guess I was doing it because I was calling him every day. I was going to meetings every day. So we started doing the steps. And what was great about the way I learned the steps, and I've just done them one time for myself, but I learned to do the step to the best of my ability, as honest as I could, and and then apply it. And Jim was always really good because I like like again my first nickname in A was Happy. I was working at Disneyland, so I think people thought it was funny. It was like one of the seven drawers. But, the, the, you know, for years, people called me happy, but I, I was an angry dude. And, uh, but uh, Jim would always, when I would tell him about a problem that was going on, he would listen to me. And, uh, and then he would say, hey, can I suggest something to you? And he was just so, so good. I mean, he's the perfect guy for me. And, uh, and I, I would reluctantly say yes. And then he'd give me simple stuff to do. Like I remember a guy uh, was driving me nuts at a meeting. His nickname was Traditions Jim. And uh, he would share, you know, he was one of these guys that point your finger and, uh, you know, you know, I, I didn't like him. And, uh, and Jim, Jim said to me, hey, next time you see him at a meeting and after the meeting, if he shared and you're really agitated about it, just go up and shake his hand and thank him for sharing. And I went, what? You know, that didn't make any sense to me. But the next night, I'm at a meeting. He shares, drive me nuts. I go to the bathroom after the meeting. I come out, and we slam chests into each other. And all I, can, all I see is Jim, Jim L's face or his voice going, shake his hand. And so I go, hey, Jim, great chair. And, and he shakes my hand, and he, and he starts talking to me. And I'm not kidding you, getting back to my father, somehow we started talking about fathers. And this guy gave me some of the greatest advice I've ever gotten in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I used it the, the, until my father passed away five years ago. He said, why don't you give your father the gift of listening? Which is hard to do because my dad really didn't talk, especially to me. And, uh, it, but so the point is, I mean, here I am not liking this dude and he comes out and gives me this advice. And to this day, I, when I run into him, I mean, we're like, he, he's like one of my favorite guys in AA. And that's just how backwards my thinking was. But I, I started listening to my father. And I, I, I tried to start, you know, a relationship with him, which, which was very difficult. You know, I, I'd go to his house and try to talk to him and he had Fox News on full blast, you know. <laughs> And I'd, I'd say, hey, can I turn that down? I started asking him stuff. Like, I, I knew he was in the Korean War, right? But I thought he had, like, a really uh, gravy job because he was, like, a medic or something. I didn't even know. So I started asking my dad stuff, like, uh, hey, wh what were you doing over there? And what happened? And he told me of a, a story uh, of a, he was on the front lines in a hospital, 
and he would he was caring for the patients like bedpans and stuff and he told me the story he goes oh son uh you know i had this one guy he was burnt 100 percent of his body it looked like a charcoal and and every time i'd go to to, to change or do something for him bubbles would come out of his mouth and i go bubbles and he goes yeah i finally figured out he was trying to talk to me and uh so one day my dad said i put my ear down to listen to him and he said for the love of god kill me just changed everything with my dad You know, I realized my dad you know, had gone through some heavy stuff, you know, I'm sorry. And, uh, you know, I just, I thought about it, I went, you know, this, this AA stuff is unbelievable, right? So I started trying to do stuff with my dad. It never did get to where, like the relationship I have with, with Brick is completely different. And I wasn't expecting to have the relationship I have with Brick, but, I started having a relationship with my dad. I remember at five years sober, he uh, he sat me down or he turned off Fox News <laughs> and he said, uh, he goes, hey, uh, when I pass away, I want you to go in my room and up in my closet is red leather satchel. I want you to get it and follow the instructions. And it was his will. And that was a five years sober. And, uh, and that was a trip. And then uh, what's interesting about my father, too, is we were born the same day, which now I laugh because his, his mom and dad, obviously, nine months prior was Valentine's Day. So that's a big day in our family. Um, <laughs> but uh, so I'm born on my dad's birthday and we're completely opposites. You'd think we, that would be like a magical experience. And uh, so uh, five years ago, this July, uh, my mom passed away uh, relatively suddenly. She was not doing very well, but uh, a day after her funeral, and, uh, and to talk about Brick's mom a little bit, she came and spoke, and she actually came and helped take care of my mom and dad. And we have a terrific relationship, and you know, I'll always look at that lady that she saved my life, but uh, the day after my mom's funeral, my dad has a heart attack and, and goes on hospice. And it's 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 uh, early August, and I and now I'm saying, hey, Dad, you got to stick around for one more birthday. And uh, so they put him on hospice, and I, I'd go over there every night. And I'd spend the weekends with him. And the last week when he was going down, uh, I was there every night. In the morning of the 14th, our birthday, I wake up at like 4:30 in the morning, and my Brick's mom is staying in the other room, and. And I get up and I make coffee and, and, and she comes in and, and, uh, and we remember it's our birthday. It was my dad and my birthday. And we go, well, let's go sing him happy birthday, right? He was in a coma. We're holding his hand. We sing him happy birthday. And he takes his last breath and passes away right after we finish. And I'm just going, wow. I would have missed all this. I would have missed it all if I wouldn't have got sober. So I'm forever indebted to Alcoholics Anonymous and uh, I love you all and thank you.